how do you win a battle when the odds are not in your favor? Pastor Xavier Reese shares this spiritual secret to guaranteed victory. Abram armed his 318 trained servants and prepared them with weapons of war. This army has devastated from north to south, and he's got 318 servants that are not soldiers. Who would be crazy enough to do that? You only want to do that if God tells you to do that. But God get the glory. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In the book of Proverbs, we find this precept, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Genesis for today's important Bible study, with a call for all to trust in God, especially during the uncertain times of war. Genesis chapter 14 verse 1 through 16, and the message is entitled, Wars, Just and Unjust. Abram finds himself in a state of war by an invasion of kings from the east. And he was placed in a position that he had no choice but to involve himself in that war. In view of this, we want to look at the invasion of these four kings from Mesopotamia against the five kings of Canaan. Let me read here these verses for us. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arya, king of Elazar, Caleb king of Elam, and Tidal, king of the nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Beersha, king of Gomorrah, uh, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shimber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bilam, that is Zor. All these joined together in the valley of Sidon, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Cadalaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Cadalaomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephidim in Ashtoreth, Kernaim, uh, the Susim in Ham, the Anim in Sheva, Kirathayim, in the Horazites and the mountains of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and they came to Enmesbad, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the countries of the Amalekites, also the Amorites, who dwelt in Hezazon, Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidon against Kedalaomer, king of Elam, king of nations, Amphrel, king of Sinar, Ariok, king of Elazar, and four kings against five. Now, the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree of Manri the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, brother of Enar, and they were allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. 
He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. The invasion of these four kings from the east Mesopotamia against the five kings of Canaan is described by three things. We have the proclamation of the invasion in verse 1 to 4. Then we have the devastation of the invasion, verse 5 to 12. And then we have the intervention against the invasion in verse 13 through 16. And it unfolds for us. Now the introduction of the kings from the east here in verse 1. The eastern kings from Mesopotamia who had confederated were four. Amphro, king of Shinar, Babylon, Assyria. We saw that in chapter 10, verse 10. That was the first beginning empire with Nimrod, remember? Uh, Ariok, king of Eleazar, believed to be southern Babylon. Kedalaomer, king of Elam, the east of Babylon, Persia. Kedalaomer, his name means servant Lagomer, one of um, Elam's gods, the capital of Elam later on. As you know, Persia, Daniel was there with Susa. He is the evident leader of the confederation here. Uh, verse 4, verse 5 gives us him as a priority and all. So he's the head honcho here. Now, these invading kings, notice, came from the area of, uh, that Abram had been called out of. He came from Ur the Chaldees, that whole area. And here they're attempting to take the land over that God has promised already to Abraham. So while God is at work through one man promising for the future, you've got a lot of activities going on in the empires of fallen man who are trying to do all kinds of different things, okay? That doesn't negate what God is doing and what he's going to do. These things are just life as usual. They go on. Notice in verse 2, the introduction of the kings of the east is given. Now, these were western kings from Canaan. The four eastern kings of Mesopotamia were making war against these five kings in Canaan. They came down from the area of Damascus from the north, on the east side of the Jordan, as far down to the Dead Sea. This is the first time, by the way, that war is mentioned in the Bible. Not the first time death, not the first time violence, but war is mentioned. Then we have Bira, king of Sodom, his name is uncertain, but it's translated son of evil, appropriate. He was an evil king whose city was located in the southern end, and all these cities were located in the southern end of, of the Dead Sea. It's believed they're underwater, they're in the shallow area. And the name Sodom means burning, again, appropriate to the judgment that would come to them in chapter 19 by the hand of God. Uh, Beersha, king of Gomorrah, his name means with iniquity. He was equally wicked, and was the twin city in corruption that God judged. These two cities are mentioned together always for the judgment of God through the law and the prophets as well as the New Testament. Then we have Shinab, king of Adma. His name means splendor of the father. He without doubt again, wicked in their association, and the city is also in the general vicinity of the Dead Sea there in the south. Adma means Red Earth. Then we have Shemeber, king of Zeboim. His name means lofty flight. He, along with the other three, without doubt, was evil. The name Zeboim means gazelle. 
these two cities are not very well remembered, not even by Christians. And God uses this fact in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 8, as he's having a great difficulty bringing judgment upon Israel because of his love for Israel. And he says, shall I make you like Adma and Zeboim? And people say, who's Adma and Zeboim? That's the point. That God judged them so severely they're not even remembered. Bela, king of Bela, that is Zor. Bela means destruction. Zor means insignificant. This is a city which Lot was allowed to flee to by permission of the angel before they brought destruction. All five were located on the southern end of the Dead Sea. All nine gathered together to go to battle in the Valley of Siddim. The location is again the area of the Dead Sea in the southern end. The reason for the attack is given to us in verse 4. Notice, it was for political rebellion. These five kings of Canaan served Kelamer for 12 years. The name Kelamer again means handful of sheaves, and he is the prominent leader as king. They rebelled on the 13th year. They refused to pay tribute without doubt, because this is always part of the thing. When the kings lorded over somebody, they, they pay tribute. They, they, they have uh, to get permission for, you know, the whole, depending on how the documents are written up. Now, Kedalemer didn't do anything for a year. But now, he moves to take his past wages and revenge. Wars are nothing new. They have been with us from the beginning of time, and this account is the first recorded. But I am sure that there was wars before this record here. <laughs> Why God chose this one is his wisdom. He's given it to us. Now, he moves to the devastation of the invasion in verse 5 through 12. In verse 5 and 6, the first battle, and there's four battles, okay? The first battle of the four attacking kings was on the east side of the Jordan River. The invasion took place in the 14th year of Kedalaimer, we're told. Without doubt, the delay was in making preparations for envoys that attempted to settle the difference, but having no success, the war campaign was launched. The invasion began in the most northern region of the east side of the Jordan and down towards the south. It was known as the King's Highway. Moses mentions that highway and that region in Numbers 20, verse 17, as they are going through the land. Now, the chaos and brutality was without doubt horrific and overwhelming. The brutality of man, if you would pick up the book on Rwanda and the atrocities that were brought forth on the people there as the UN walked out on them and allowed them to be butchered between the two tribes. And it was really a Christian persecution. And uh, they would hack them alive with machetes or have them buy a bullet to be shot. And um, the UN just walked out. It's amazing. The second battle of the four attacking kings was in the wilderness of Param in verse 7. The kings reversed their direction there, notice. And they turned back and they came to En Mizpah, that is Kadesh. So they came down from the north to the south, then they went 
towards the land of Israel. And Kadesh was a place that you know where the children of Israel came from the Exodus. And, and they, they didn't want to enter the promised land because they were afraid of the giants and the wall cities. So God says, fine, you're going to have a 40-year death march. That's the place right here, Kadesh. They attacked all the countries of the Amalekites and the Amorites, going up towards the Dead Sea, the southern end, not too far from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In their full momentum of viciousness and brutality, butchering everything in his path, the armies of the four kings arrived ready to confront the rebellious tributaries. The third battle of the four attacking kings comes in verse 8 and 9 then. It was when they met the five rebelling kings who went out to meet the four kings from Mesopotamia. The king of Sodom there and the king of Gomorrah, verse 8 is given to us, again, the two cities known even to non-believers for their immorality and corruption. The judgment of God was still to come it would await them in chapter 19. The king of Adma and Zeboim, again, the two cities that are associated, not remembered, not even by Christians, being judged. The king of Bela, we've seen that, Zor. This city, again, located down there in the southern end, this was the only city that was spared because Lot was allowed to flee there, okay? The other four were destroyed. And so the five rebellious kings of Canaan went out to meet the four kings of the east. And notice how they joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim. Their decision to rebel had to be defended. Their unity was their only hope. The outcome of the battle is given in verse 10 through 12. Notice in verse 10 the details of the battle are brief, which are amazing because we would think, okay, here comes all the gory stuff. But see, the focus of this is not the empires of the world. It's the one who controls the world. The focus is going to be in verses 17 to 24, which we'll cover next time. God was in control. So all the gory details are left out. They were utterly dismayed and defeated. The spoils of the war and the battle were extensive. Verse 11 then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. The word goods means property, possessions, such as livestock, utensils, whatever. All their provisions were taken. They went their way. The word provision means food supply. So they just took everything. The prisoner of war that stands out is one, Lot. Lot is Abram's brother's son. Abram had taken him when they lived Ur, in Genesis 11, 28 and 31, because his father had died. So Abram was really his uncle. Lot is identified as dwelling in Sodom. Notice that in verse 12 there. Uh, Lot chose to the region towards Sodom, and he began to pitch his tent towards Sodom. Now we see that he was living in Sodom. Later on in chapter 19, we'll see that he's sitting at the gate as one of the judges of Sodom. Listen to me. Lot is the emphasis here because he knew God. And he thought he could mess with sin. He thought he could know how far to go. He thought that he could live on both sides of the fence. And it cost him tremendously. Lot is a constant warning to the carnal Christian in the church who dares to think 
that they can get away with sin. That leads to the intervention against the invasion. The news of the captivity came to Abram in verse 13. The person escaped, and he came and he told Abram, the Hebrew. This is the first mention of Abram as the Hebrew. The root comes from his descendant, remember, Eber, in Genesis 10, 21. It means the region beyond or the verb to pass over or to pass through. Septuagint translates it, passenger. He was a sojourner. You and I are said to be sojourners and pilgrims. Same thing. Now, in verse 14, notice the readiness of Abram to rescue Lot was immediate. Immediate. Abram armed his 318 trained servants. He dismissed these servants from their normal duties and prepared them with weapons of war. This army has devastated from north to south, taken everything, professional army, and he's got 318 trained servants that are not soldiers. Who would be crazy enough to do that? You only want to do that if God tells you to do that. <laughs> you understand? This is kind of like um, Gideon's 300 against the many Midianites. Remember, Abram's about 84 years old. <laughs> Abram didn't hesitate, notice. But hearing of the captivity of Lot, he was suddenly ready to rescue and to restore Lot. Notice Abram had maintained a separation from Lot up to this point because of his carnality. And yet, he was not indifferent when the help was needed. Very important. He had not become bitter. He did what was right. And by the way, Lot would be rescued one more time by Abram as Abram would intercede when the judgment came on Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram went in pursuit as far as Dan, verse 14 tells us. Notice that. Dan is south of Damascus, the northernmost point of the promised land at the base of Mount Hermon where Caesarea Philippi is, one of the headwaters of the Jordan River right there, beautiful, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men that I am? And Peter says, are the Christ, the Son of the living God, so on and so forth, right there. Distance by 120 miles. It wasn't just a day's ride. It was quite a long ride. Notice the strategy of Abraham's rescue is evident of wisdom in verse 15. Abraham divided his forces against him by night. This is the fourth battle now as Abram attacks from two different directions. The night would provide an element of surprise. The details of the warfare are not important and are omitted purposely, but God get the glory as we see in the confession of Abram to Melchizedek and to the king of Sodom. He overwhelmed them. They fled, running for their lives. The outcome of the rescue by Abram was completely victorious. Complete victory. Abram brought back all the goods, losing nothing that was taken. All was recovered. Abram also brought back his brother Lot and his goods. The twofold mention being brought back is for emphasis once again. Lot was the motive for the rescue operation. Not the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
Adma and Zeboim. It was Lot. That was the motive for the operation. Abram brought back as well the women and the people. But you know what's interesting to me? There's no record of gratitude by any of the people. There's no expression of appreciation. And as we continue in Genesis, we'll see that there was no real evidence of repentance because they went back to the city, they continued with the corruption, including Lot. No repentance. You know, there are some devastating things that happen to people in life, and God will be there to use those things to turn people to open their eyes and change their lives. And sometimes they're open to it, but the majority of people don't learn from the hard times. They go right back to life as usual, adding more hurt to themselves. The world is full of sinners, I hope you know. And we have a bent towards evil, even though man has a potential for good. He only exercises it very little. The battle began in the Garden of Eden, as you know, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and then sin nature entered in, chapter 3. The first death was over envy and jealousy. Cain killed Abel in chapter 4, verse 8. The ongoing nature of man continued as Lamech boasted to his two wives about killing a young man in chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. The entire world was so corrupt that God had to destroy it in chapter 6, 7, and 8. The new world was no better even as Noah got out and planted a vineyard and drank some wine and got cropped, laid there naked, and his son mocked him in chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. The building of the Tower of Babel was a direct act of rebellion against God as he commanded to disperse through the earth in chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. The world of our modern day is no different. We've just become more sophisticated in our types of sin and more gruesome in our military weapons. There are times when war serves the better cause because of the evil it is fighting against. But wars will never exist without their injustices on all sides. This is the legacy of man's history. I wish you could read some of the emails I get from some of the young men. One says, Mom and Dad, I love you, miss you. I would rather be there with you guys. But as long as the troops are over here, I have to be here to make sure they get home safe so that you and I can live in liberty. High price. And so looking at the invasion of these four kings from Mesopotamia against the five kings of Canaan gives us a great perspective of the world. It is evil. Man is depraved. But God is working in the midst of that through individuals as Abram, working on the plan of redemption that he might change your heart. The world cannot be changed, but your heart can be changed. And then you can be used as a vessel of God to pull people out of the fire. We're called to be fishers of men, not to change the world. We can't change the world. God changes the hearts of men and women. And so the proclamation of the invasion is an accurate record. The devastation of the invasion was horrible. The intervention against the invasion was right. 
May God give us wisdom as we move through this life. May we lift our hearts to Him and understand that He's fully on the throne and that He's coming soon. Pastor Xavier Reese with a call for all to trust in God, especially during the uncertain times of war. And you can pick up a copy of today's thought-provoking message, Wars, Just and Unjust. It's available on CD for just $4. Passing along a study such as this is a great way to introduce a friend to this ministry. So the title to ask for once again is Wars, Just or Unjust. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us keep track of the response when you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Do you find yourself caught up in an insurmountable battle? Is there a way out? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 